The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you turn with me to the book of Galatians, we have gotten to probably the most famous section of Galatians, is where we'll be this morning. If you grew up in church, you sang songs about this section. You learn that the fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut, it's not a banana, it's none of those things, but it's love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's where we will find ourselves this morning. You know, it's funny, we learn these songs as kids and we laugh about them, but if we see the truth in them, we'll see the importance of knowing them. And I think it would fare us well as what we might call mature Christians, maybe, to heed to those songs and actually, actually live that way. And we'd see the difference that it has in our life. There's a reason that these passages are popular. You know, passages like John 3.16 and these others, it's, it's because they are important and there's truth in them. And we can't let them just become something that we hear and don't really think about. And I think we'll see that this morning as we dive into this passage. Last week, we talked about what it looked like to walk in the Spirit And this laid out as we read through in verses 13 through 15 and some of verses 16 through 18. But we saw that as we use the liberty that God has given us, as we have freedom in Christ, God has given us liberty. And the liberty that we now have isn't to fulfill the desires of our hearts, but it's to serve. It's to serve others. It's to not think of ourselves first, but to come together as a church body. And and we saw in verse 14 that Paul reminds us that the law is fulfilled in, in the one thing, right? Love the Lord your God and serve and love your neighbor as yourself. And I said a statement, I remember, I know that ruffled some feathers, just talking about how we can get off track very easy. We start to make things of scripture that aren't the most important, the most important, right? And, and I was saying, if we can get lost in these, in these rabbit trails that we can chase sometimes, which aren't bad. And I hope that you heard me say that last week, uh, studying these different things in scripture that some people can get, you know, with eschatology and these different sort of things. Uh, those are good things to study and it's things we must study and we should study, but those aren't the most important things. If we as a church body would love each other, how God calls us to love. And if we would love the Lord, how he calls us to love him, it would settle down a lot of problems within church families, within church life. We would see, I believe, more people come to know the Lord as Savior because that's what we're called to do and that's how God works is through that. And so we have to be faithful to that. But as we get to our passage this morning, I want you to think of a question. How well did you do this week in thinking of others? It was laid out very clearly for us. And I told you, that before you probably got done with lunch on Sunday, you would mess up. Did you? I did, no doubt. I want the last bite of that food. Nobody else gets that, that, that you know, that's for me, or whatever it may be. But I hope that you contemplated that this week. And as we get into our passage this morning, it gets a little bit more personal. And it's still with the thought in mind of loving the Lord and serving him faithfully how we should. And it's gonna work itself out in how we love each other but, it, but Paul gets a little more personal in this section of how can we walk in the spirit? And we see that there's fruit that comes from this. 
And so follow along with me in Galatians chapter five, verse 19 to 26. I, I'm going to try to go fast this morning. My family's away. Uh, my brother-in-law's baptizing his daughter this morning up in the Flint area. And so my family went up there. And for me, that's awesome because my house is empty. So the quicker I get done, the quicker I get there. And there's, no, there's nobody else there. And I don't know what that feels like. So I want to experience it. So that's my motivation this morning. All right. Galatians 5, 19 to 26. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. I want to look at that this, this morning and try our best to follow God's word as closely as we can. As you look at verse 19 through 23, really uh, the big meat of this passage, we see Paul compare fleshly living with spirit-led living. And this is what he has been talking about. And we know and we understand completely what it feels like to fight against the flesh. For those of us who have been saved by God's grace, it'd be foolish for us to say that we don't battle that anymore. It's been you know, it's been defeated. It's over, you know, and you say, well, pastor, all through Galatians, you've been preaching how Christ has defeated the enemy for us. And it's by grace, we're saved. It's nothing we do. Absolutely, absolutely correct. But we know that where we are today, we continually battle this fleshly desire to sin in our life. It's a battle that's always raging on. It's a, it's a temptation that lurks around every single corner Every moment of the day. This week, I got invited to a, a Red Wings game, and it was exciting to go to that with, with uh, some guys here at the church. And there was a, a moment in the game I thought about when I was studying this passage. It was tied one-to-one in the third period, last period. And the Red Wings came down, and they scored a goal, and everybody in there was so excited except for the guy sitting next to me because he was rooting for the other team. He was, you know, oh, he was so mad. It was, looked like he was a teenager, maybe younger 20s, something like that. Just, you've got to be kidding me. Well, while everybody else is all excited, something happened out on the ice. The other team's coach challenged that it was a goal. Like, oh, no. You know, oh, no, what, what happened? So they show on the big screen, and it's like, we might have been off sides. Sure enough, you know, they, they come out, and the officials, no, no goal, off sides. It, it didn't count, and so... The guy next to me now, he's excited. We're down. And within one minute of the game, we were then losing three to one. They scored two quick goals, which just changed everything. So much so that me and the guys I was with, let's get out of here. Enough is enough. Let's leave. The only reason I share that story is because I think that's what it's like in our life sometimes as we battle this flesh and as we try to serve the Lord. We will have moments of great jubilation God, I read my Bible this morning and I learned about this. 
And then a little bit of time goes by and you are floored because you're thinking, I just read about this and I just failed. I've just fallen short. And we can live this type of roller coaster as we, as we struggle with this battle. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And he addresses some of the areas in our life that, that can pull us away from the fruit that the Holy Spirit wants us to have in our life. And he talks about these works of the flesh in verse 19 through 20. And I read the list and this is not a comprehensive list. There's, there's more that you can find. There's either even other lists in scripture that you can read. And when you get to the end of, when you get to verse 21, he ends with, and the like, which means this isn't it. There's more than that. But if you look at that list and you start walking through that list, I really think it should convict our hearts. We can't go too far into this list without seeing ourselves in there. I don't want to go through these one by one this morning. I don't think I need to, but there's definitely some of these I think that we could look at and realize we probably struggle with them every day. I mean, if you look at verse 20, there's one in there that maybe we skip over and we don't think about, but hatred. Oh, how often hatred bubbles up in our life especially the way that we're so divided in our society over, over things that we can't come together and talk about them anymore. If you don't agree with this, then I hate you and you hate me. And we can't be friends. We can't have a relationship. And how often we can get so angry in it and it bubbles over. Or if you just go a couple words down, jealousies. And as you watch HGTV and you get so jealous, Those people have to be in their 30s and they're paying for a home that's $750,000. What in the world? I remember coaching high school basketball at Ida and here comes some kid pulling up in a brand new Jeep Wrangler. Like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm driving a 1980-something Cavalier and you, you have this brand new Jeep. Oh, and the jealousy that would just well up inside of me that honestly would lead to the next word of outbursts of wrath. Upset about it. What did I do wrong? You know, where did I go wrong? I want to have that. And again, I I say these things just for us to see how easy it is as we go through this list to be selfish ambitions, dissensions that we have even amongst each other that we don't want to deal with. That leads to heresies and even outright lies or envying and gets to murders and drunkenness and revelries and of the like. Again, as I said, I don't want to go through them one by one. I just want us to point out how easy it is for us to settle into a lifestyle to where we work for the flesh, to where we, we are driven to satisfy the flesh. But the problem with that is the promise that, that the flesh gives us in verse 21 is not a good promise. It, it's not something that we want to hold to because it's very strong language. Paul says, if these are the things of your life, I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, Those who practice such things, notice this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I can't find some way to maneuver the Greek to make it say something different. It says, will not inherit the kingdom of life. It won't happen. If this is the way you live, if this is your lifestyle, if these are words that describe you, it says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God, And why is that? It's because those who practice these things simply do not deserve to be a part of God's kingdom. God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure. 
And so these things do not need to be in his presence. They do not need to be where he is. And so it would be unfair for us to look at God and say, well, that's unfair. Then nobody can get into your kingdom. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely nobody can inherit the kingdom of God because as I look at this list, personally, I fall short of a lot of them, kind of often. Well, that reminds me of a question that somebody asked Jesus at one time, and I hope your mind goes to that too. They would ask Jesus after Jesus would talk about who could enter the kingdom of heaven and the the rich aren't just necessarily ushered in. And they would say, well, then who can enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' response would be, well, with man, this is impossible. That's why we think what we think when we read these verses. Well, then who in the world can do this? Because we know with man, this is absolutely impossible. But Jesus didn't stop there because he says, but with God, all things are possible. And now that's a verse that we like to twist and we like to change it to to benefit us. You know, and I've said this before. Well, I can get this job because with God, all things are possible. I can lift up this rock because God, all things are possible. I can make this much money because with God, all things are possible. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's, It's talking about when we sacrifice the flesh, when we lay the flesh down and when we trust in Christ, the son of God, in his righteousness, then it is possible to have a relationship with God. Then it is, imp- it is possible to be in the presence of God. Now, I have to say this though, because as we look at this, this, again, we all stumble and we all slip. And the words that Paul says are very pointed. If this is a part of your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't want this to scare us as believers into thinking that the moment that we fall short of this, that we're now somehow out of the kingdom of God, that now, now God has ushered us out because we did not keep our end of the bargain. That, that's not what is being taught here. In the Christian life, we've seen this all through scripture. We are going to stumble. Paul himself talks about how he falls short and how he stumbles. But what should not be a part of our life, and if this is a part of your life, then I would say you do need to check your relationship with God. If your sin is habitual, if it is constant, if you're not dealing with it, if you're not worried about it, then you should have some concern about your relationship with God. Because as we sin as Christians, there should be remorse. There should be regret. There should be concern as to, God, why, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep falling into this? God, help me to over overcome this and us taking steps to actively try to overcome these sins in our life. Again, not so that we can be justified before God, not so that God will love me, but because what God has done in me, I have a desire to love him in the way that I show him love as I walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And so I work hard to get rid of the flesh. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. As we get to verse 22 and 23, we get to the fruit of the spirit. And I want you to notice that the word fruit is singular. And I think that's on purpose. I think there is a reason for this. And the first word that is mentioned is love in that passage. And I I believe that all of the other uh, fruit of the spirit flow out of this first one. And we we even see this, you know, in Colossians chapter three, verse 14 It says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. Love is the linchpin here. 
I believe for the rest of these things to take place and be a part of our life. And I also want us to realize this. If you are a child of God, if you've been saved by the grace of God, then all of these are a part of your life. All of them. You cannot say, well, God did not give me the gift of patience. That's not a gift. It doesn't work that way. Well, well, God did not give me the gift of love or the gift of gentleness or the gift of self-control. So you just need to get off my back because I'm not that type of person. That's not who God made me. Oh no, he did make you that when he saved you. He gave you the fruit of the spirit. Now, you may be better at some of these than others. And that's normal. But all of them need to be evident in our life. We need to see God working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit for these things to be, to be welling up inside of us, for us to have a desire to live in this way. Because if you look at verse 23, it says at the end of it, against such there is no law. And that's important because as we live out the fruits of the Spirit, what we are living out is we are saying we are fulfilling the law that God has laid before us. The law that doesn't hold me down anymore because Christ has fulfilled that law. Christ has put within me through the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And I am living out fulfilling the law by doing these things, by being patient with my wife or with my children, by by being caring, by being kind to people. I am actually fulfilling the law that God wants us to fulfill. As I read this list, man, what a great friend it would make if you had a friend who did all these, would it not? What a great church member it would be if this list could be completed every day. If they were thinking all day long about the fruit of the spirit and what that looks like in their life as they live their life daily, not one ounce of selfishness would be in them if they were able to live this out perfectly. This is stuff that we must take serious. Again, maybe you think of it as just some silly kid song that they learn about in children's church and they're supposed to share their toys and be kind to one another. But that message still remains for us today. To be kind, to be loving, because against such there is no law. The law doesn't hold us with this. Well, Paul goes down in verse 24 through 26. and I'll go quickly this morning. He says, and those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, there's two aspects here of sanctification that I wanna dive into as quickly as I possibly can. And I want you to put on your thinking caps with me and try to remember these words and try to use these words this week. It'll make you look smart, I promise. People will be very impressed with you. Even if you use it wrong, probably, they'll have no idea, okay? So, There's two aspects here of sanctification. Sanctification is the process that God takes us through after he has justified us, after he has saved us by his grace. The Bible says God then works in our life to help us to be molded and made into the image of Christ. And so that's a process that we're all going through as as believers. And there's, there's two things that we do in sanctification. The first one we see in verse 24. It says crucifying the, crucifying the flesh. This is called mortifying the sin or mortification, killing the sin inside on the cross. Christ paid for our sins. We know this. 
We're not worried about that. He was the propitiation that we needed. He took God's wrath for our sins on him. And now what he has called us to do is he says, put to death your sin daily, right? Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, this is a very violent idea. It's not a, it's not a pretty sight to kill sin or to uproot sin, it's, it's a technical term, mortification. It's a technical term that's really supposed to make up us gasp. Like, what? You want us to do that with it? Yes. It's that serious, the sin in our life. We must rid ourselves of it as much as we possibly can. There are people much smarter than me who talk about this, and that's why I read quotes from them. And One of these men is Sinclair Ferguson, somebody that I try to read often. But he's talking about this process of mortification and what that looks like in Christ. And I want to I want to share it with you because it's helpful for me. The first thing he says, and he's using Colossians chapter three uh, as he's teaching through this. I don't want to read that though this morning. But the first thing he says is this. As you are trying to kill sin in your life, number one, remember who you are in Christ. That's important. Remember that because you have sin does not mean you're defeated. Does not mean that Satan now reigns in your life. No, you are a child of the one true king. You still call him father when you go to him, even in your sin. And he loves you and he cares for you. And we must remember who we are in Christ. The second thing he says, understand we are the problem in our sin. We want to sin in all areas of our life. We cannot look to the world and say, man, this society has caused me to sin. Absolutely not. You have caused yourself to sin because you love it. And I do too. And it's that battle that we have. And so we have to be serious about it. It's just like with our kids. Well, he made me do this or she made me do that. No, you have sinned. You have messed up. You are in trouble. Don't put it on other people. Thirdly, it says, then deal with sin practically. He says this in four ways. Number one, admit sin for what it really is. I think this is really important. God, today I committed adultery. Not word it some other way. You know, God, today, I hated that guy. I wanted to kill that guy. And I'm a sinner because of it. Not, you know what, God, today, I had a couple impure thoughts and, you know, I kind of tiptoed the line here and there. I'm sorry. No. God, today, I sinned. And this is what my sin was. We need to see sin from God's point of view. Understand how important it is. Thirdly, we need to recognize how inconsistent sin is with the believer. The Bible says as we are saved, that we are made new. The the old man has gone. The new man is now risen. And so it's absolutely inconsistent for us to sin. It's not who we are. It's not who God has made us. And the fourth thing, which is the most difficult thing, is to put sin to death. In Colossians chapter three, verse five, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death, therefore, what is in you. This is not an easy process. Putting something to death hurts. There's always pain involved in death. You cannot get away from it. You cannot say, well, they just fell asleep and they were gone and it was peaceful. No, death is not peaceful. Death is hard. Death is difficult. And as you put sin to death, and this is what is a struggle with us, you will feel as if you lost something dear. You will, because it's something that you've loved for so long, whatever it may be. In fact, 
it might even hurt you physically to quit that sin. There are sins in our life that would hurt, you know, addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol. It is not easy physically to get over those things. And so it might really be hard and difficult, but we have been called to deal with sin and to put it to death. The same guy I quoted before, he says this. He says, but notice that Paul sets this in a very important, broader context. The negative task of putting sin to death, which we've been talking about, will not be accomplished in isolation from the positive call of the gospel to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul spells this out in Colossians. Sweeping the house clean simply leaves us open to a further invasion of sin. But when we understand the glorious exchange, principle of the gospel of grace, then we will begin to make some real advance in holiness. As sinful desires and habits are not only rejected, but exchanged for Christ-like graces and actions. As we are clothed in Christ's character and his graces are held together by love, not only in our private life, but also in the church fellowship, Christ's name and glory are manifested and exalted in and among us. This is what's so important. This is why there's two aspects to this process of sanctification. Yes, we must kill the sin in our life. But the problem is, if the only thing you do is kill sin, it just opens you up for more sin. You just clean the house so it can get dirty again. The way I kind of think about this, men, maybe you can relate to this. Go build yourself a pole barn because you need more room. And what's going to happen? You're going to fill that stinking pole barn and you're going to need more room. And you're just going to keep needing more room. We never have enough room. Same way in your life. As you root out that sin, all you're doing is making more room for more sin unless you put something else there. And this is the second word that I want you to remember this morning. Vivification. Vivification. It's a good word. It's walking in the spirit. As we put to death sin, we by faith walk in the spirit. We are people who are called to be led by the spirit. And when I say led by the spirit, please do not think that what I mean is that we are unlogical or that we are people who just live off the cuff or that we are just emphatic all the time. And if the Holy Spirit's really living in my heart, I'm always going to be smiling and happy and yippy and running around back and forth, all pumped up. That's not the spirit. It's called coffee. Okay. That's not the spirit. I experienced that this week, drinking one of my first cups of coffee. Never again. Thought I was going to die. Listen, being led by the spirit and walking in the spirit is a very purposeful way of living. And I think this is so important because listen, I have heard pastors being taught, hey, when you preach, you preach by the spirit, man. You don't take notes up there. You preach by the spirit. Well, then if I don't take notes, I'm not preaching by the spirit. I'm preaching by Tim. It's going to be all my thoughts. It's going to be all my desires. It's going to be all my wants. It's going to be what I'm thinking about at that moment. And so no, living by the spirit is a very purposeful way to live. And listen, we struggle with that in this church too. I know how to get people to say, man, that spirit, the spirit just led this morning. You know how? I'll ask the choir to sing the song again. I'll come up and say, man, that song was so spiritual. Sing it again. And everybody be like, absolutely. Spirit was in this place. Why? Because we changed the order or something. No, the Holy Spirit's always in this place when we're obeying the word of God, when we're teaching the word of God, when we're encouraging each other in the word of God, when we're focused on Christ in him and in him alone, then the spirit is leading and the spirit 
is guiding. And so we must be faithful to that. So how do we do this? How do we walk in the spirit? Well, we must take in the source of truth that God has and given us, that God has given us and live by that. Number one, we need to remember this. Jesus is the bread of life. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall no longer hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we must have our full faith and insurance in Jesus. Not in the other things of this world, but in Jesus. He's our full authority. He is our full trust. Second, that Jesus is the word made flesh. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He came to complete and to fulfill the law and he did. And now he has put it within us to be able to overcome those things because of what he has done for us. And we got to remember that. And third, we have to remember that the word became flesh and we have the word today in our hands, the word of God, and it is our lamp. Psalm 119, 105. Again, this is a little kid's verse that we like to share with them. The, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God, your word is the only thing that can help me see what is real. Your word is the only thing that can help me see what is true. God has given us our source of light. God has given us our source of information so that we can live successfully according to him and walk in step with him. And it's his word, nothing else. And so as we clean out our house, so to speak, of sin, as we put sin to death, the only way that we can then walk in the spirit is if we are then drawing from the well of Christ, feeding on the body of Christ, which is his word. That's the only way. And so you might say, I don't understand why we're told all the time to read our Bibles every day. I get it. I know it. This is why. If you are not filling yourself with the word of God, you are only going to be filled with the lusts of the flesh. There's no other options. And so, yes, we remind ourselves again as we read, oh, the fruits of the spirit. I remember that song when I was four. Yeah, but you still need it when you're 44. And you need to be reminded of it. And you need to have it planted in your heart. If we're thinking about his word, if we're studying his word, if we're living out his word, then sin will have no place in our life. God has made a way for us to partake of his word. Not just reading it, but you know, God's given us other things here. Corporate worship is a time when we come together and feast on the word of God together. The Lord's Supper, which we'll be observing in a couple weeks during the morning service, is a time that God has given us to come together to remember his promises and his truth and to feast together on the word of the Lord. Singing together. If you are singing good songs, biblical songs, that's times when we come together and we feast together on the word of the Lord, reminding us of the truth and implanting it in our heart. This process of killing sin and walking in the spirit is absolutely an everyday battle. And when we become slack in our life, it becomes evident. I don't have to convince you of this. You know this. We start to hunger. We start to thirst more. We start to find our satisfaction and our hunger filled in things of this world and it, it begets becomes chaotic and, and we forget our first love. We've, we forget that the only source is Jesus. And so we need to be drawn back to him. 
We must be willing to take up this fight every day and we must do it together. We must encourage each other in this. The only way that I could ever see the fruits of the spirit being evident in my life is if by God's grace, I follow this plan and those around me are encouraged me in this plan. So for me, one of the things that I'm gonna do, and this is where God has been working in my heart, is I have plans to meet with Pastor Matt, to Pastor Scott, and what I'm gonna do to try to set myself up for success is this, I'm gonna say, hey, I need you guys to hold me accountable in prayer. I get here before anybody almost every day, usually at least a half an hour before anybody else. And I wanna start using that time just for prayer because too often I rely on my strength and not the Lord's strength. And the Bible tells us our source of strength is in prayer. And if I believe that to be real, then I need to start making that a part of my life. And so I'm gonna ask those guys, I want you to ask me on occasion, did you spend that time in prayer this morning? Did you spend that time in God's word and focusing on that and in prayer or were you doing sermon prep? Or were you checking emails? Or were you doing something else? Because I need, I need that in my life in order to live and walk in the spirit how I'm, how I'm supposed to walk in the spirit. And now listen, I go to work to do that. You go to work to make parts. You go to work to do these other things. I know I desperately need that. And I know you do too. We need that in each other. And so we must be encouraging each other and lifting each other up and talking with each other and saying, brother, have you been walking in the spirit this week? Have you been kind to your wife? Been kind to your kids? Have you been the employee that you're supposed to be? I say this to lift you up, not to weigh you down. I say this to encourage you. We're in this battle together. Christ has saved us. He's poured his righteousness out on us and we want to honor him with our life. Let's do it together so that others will see, so that others will come, so that others will know the truth of the gospel, that they'll know that it's for them as well. If only by faith they will believe, it's it's for them too. We must live with that passion in our hearts every day. In every week. And I fully believe that as a leader of this church, that if we catch fire of that, this place will be filled. I won't have to come up with strategies. I won't have to do pack a pew event. I won't have to do come and you'll eat as well. But it'll be no. Our church is so hungry for the word of God. They are so on fire to be walking by the spirit that I have no doubt others are going to follow that others are gonna walk into this place because they want to hear the word of God. They want to be together. Church, let's be the church that God has called us to be. If you're here this morning and you haven't been saved by the grace of God, I wanna tell you, you're missing out. And that offer is available for you. The grace of God is sufficient for your sins. You cannot do it on your own, but God has made a way through Christ. And if the Holy Spirit's drawing you this morning, I hope you'll respond to him in truth. This morning, I do think it's gonna be a hard response time. We're gonna sing, but I have no doubt as I was going through that list, as I was talking about mortification of sin, I have to think there were areas in your life where you thought, oh my gosh, I am not gonna inherit the kingdom of God because that is me. That's a good place to be because God's helping you grow then in the Lord. That's a good place to be. Now, listen, I want you to deal with that though this morning. I want you to start that process of digging that root out of taking it before the Lord and calling it what it is. God, I am struggling with whatever. And God, I need you to root it out of me. And listen, that will hurt. I promise you, it'll hurt. It will not be easy, but it's a battle we must do if we're going to walk in the spirit. 
if we're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit and people on mission for the Lord. And so I wanna challenge you to do that this morning as we sing. You don't have to come up here and deal with it if you don't want, but if you want to, by all means, come up here and pray. But even right where you are, just saying, God, I need to take this serious. The sin needs to be out of me so that I can usher in walking in the spirit more in my life. Let's bow together and let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I thank you for the good news of your word that, yeah, we read that list of the the lusts of the heart and the flesh and all these things that we know we struggle with. But God, I thank you that right after that, we see the fruit of the spirit that's given to us because of the great grace of our father. God, I pray for those in here this morning who are Christians, that they would see evidence of that fruit in their life. Oh, it may not be perfected. They may still get angry. They might still have anger, whatever the case might be at times. But God, I pray that they would see you molding them and making them, that they would see improvements. And God, that they would give you the glory and praise for it. God, I know I need that in my life. So many times I do feel like I just hit this plateau. But God, I don't wanna live that way. So God, continue to mold me and make me. God, continue to reveal sin in my life, no matter how small I think it is. And God, I pray that I would feel regret for it. I pray that I would feel remorse for it. And God, I pray that I would repent of it, that I would deal with it. God, continue to put people in my life to hold me accountable. And God, I pray for that as our church family as a whole, that we would love you so much that we don't want that to be a part of our life because we want to honor you. So God, this morning, I pray that we would respond to your word how we should and that we would give you glory in all that you do. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.